0: Why, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Orange Juice Optional. Hey, Suzanne, how are you? Hi, Michelle. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. I couldn't wait to get on this recording session with you because I was talking to Rob this morning, and he made a comment, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you even say that? So Uh I'm going to share it here because you're going to be equally shocked, but We were driving home, we had gone out walking, and in the car he said to me, I don't think I'm ready yet to go on another cruise. What? What? I know, that was my reaction. And then he's like, I'm just kidding, I could live on a ship. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like uh, too little too late, buddy, you're going. (laughs) He is, we are. I'm so excited because it's just a month away now. I know, I know, it's coming up quick. And, you know, he's done a really good job of pushing my buttons today because he said that earlier, which really didn't push my buttons. I just was like caught off guard because it's such a untrue remark. But then I was coming in to record and I'm like, oh, I got to go sit down and write a couple notes out about the book, things I want to remember to talk about. And he's like, oh, it takes a lot of work to do a podcast that I was fired from. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks we fired him.
1: Oh, poor baby. He just wanted to go a different direction than we were going.
0: And he can do that. Like, I think it would be a very successful show, but you can't do a betting show when you tape the episode before the game, and then it gets released two weeks after a game because it doesn't work.
1: And that's what I treat.
0: I keep trying to tell him that. And yeah, it's a Uh, lost cause. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll have to, in the future, near future, we'll have to work them into another podcast. and
0: Yeah, um, that terrifies me. It was so funny yesterday, because we met with the architect who has designed mm -hmm. our new home. And he was laughing about the Zoom calls we have. He's like, it's so funny, my team gets a kick out of it because Michelle will be sitting there on the Zoom call because Rob has another call going on. And as soon as he walks into the screen, you can just see Michelle get all tensed up, like, what is he gonna say? And that's my life, he nailed it, that is my life. Uh, that's funny, so anyway, funny, funny. Yeah, well that was my morning and I'm warning listeners already that this could be a little bit of a supersized episode because as you know, it is a book club episode We read Homecoming by Kate Morton, but there are Mm -hmm. a couple current events. We don't want to put too much time in between. And so they recently happened. This episode is being recorded on a Thursday. It's going to be released on Tuesday. So it was the right episode to put them in. So with that, should we just move on to the talk of the day? Uh, Yes, please. Okay, here we go. Okay, it's time for the talk of the day. And there are a couple current events that we couldn't let too much time go without addressing. And I know you know what both of those are. But which one would you like to talk about first? Oh,
1: okay, we're gonna start the drama prince. Yeah. And because that's, you know, it'll get better as time goes on.
0: His story will get better or
1: our episode will get better? No, no, no. Our episode will get better because, yeah, when I first heard the story of our drama Prince, how it was a catastrophic chase in New York City and they were fleeing for their lives because they didn't have police protection. I mean, the story started and I looked at Jeff and I said, oh, for the love of God, how stupid do they think we are?
0: I have to agree. I did a double take when the TV was on, Rob had the news on, and then on the bottom it was saying something about this. I'm like, is that even real? Like, are we even going to go there? Did that really happen? And like, I'm wiping my eyes going, are they talking about Princess Diana? Because like, I was confused when I saw just a little blurb go across the bottom of the the screen. I mean, let's be real.
1: Don't you believe that that was totally staged, totally set up for publicity?
0: Okay. I've had so many thoughts run through my mind. The publicity, I can't even say the word, publicity angle. Yes, I've considered Mm -hmm. that. I've also considered the fact that maybe Prince Harry just has such bad PTSD from the events that happen, that even something s- small or relatively small like that, he is going to blow up in his mind and it's going to be so much bigger than it was. I think you're giving him way too much credit. Yeah. I didn't walk in his shoes back then, but I only can imagine well, no. how tragic that was.
1: Okay, well, of course, yes, of yeah. course. But you don't think that he has had incidents like this in his entire life since his mom was killed being chased by paparazzi. No, he has. That he never has experienced that. And now all of a sudden he and his wife are in this very foreign situation where he doesn't know what to do and they were terrified and it was catastrophic. And then they interviewed the cab driver who was driving him and the cab driver was like, I wouldn't describe it as catastrophic. I wouldn't just describe it as chaotic. And, you know, and you think, I was thinking, okay, yeah, this is just stupid.
0: And building on that, because you have the cab driver saying that, and then you have the police saying that too, that there were no citations given, there were no accidents, there were no near misses reported, and... No injuries. No injuries. So the cab driver, the police... They're all in sync on what their story is. In Mm -hmm. Harry's mind, it was something different. In his wife's mind, it was something different. In one of the broadcasts that I saw, there was a sidebar
1: story about how Prince Harry has been fighting with the New York City police because they do not provide adequate security and protection for he and his wife when they're in the city. And it's like, okay, so this isn't a publicity stunt. This isn't to put some pressure on the police department in New York City to provide Harry with the security that he thinks he needs. It's like go buy your own security. Don't criticize the New York City police department because they're not providing you with your adequate needed security. Go buy your own security. And some stupid public relations person representing the prince decided it was a good idea that this was how they were going to put pressure on the New York City Police Department to provide adequate security. To take what was probably maybe a little scary, maybe a little nerve-wracking, and explode it into this catastrophic, chaotic event that Ended tragically, and I'm just like, stupid. Drama, Prince.
0: Yeah, Drama, Prince. And I read an article yesterday, it was in Us Weekly, that said the Prince and Megan were shocked by the response they're getting from other people about this. Like the trolls, or what they would consider trolls, or the negative comments that are coming at them over the story because people don't believe them. At least create a credible story.
1: If you're going to go to the lengths to put this and release this to the media, at least make it credible. You know, don't treat us all like idiots. Like we're gonna buy into this crap. We're not that stupid.
0: Right, and if you've lived through a tragedy like that and there was a case where the paparazzi was around you, like. I I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I wasn't invited to a coronation or anything like that. Not in the public eye, but like slow down anyways and just say, you know, we're just going to law abide and we'll deal with it when we get where we're going. If you're worried about the safety. I mean, if they get a picture of you, they get a picture of you. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. And like I said, this is not new. This is, you know, this has been going on his whole life. He knows how to deal with paparazzi. And to describe it as catastrophic to me is just insulting. But back to what you commented on the S yes Magazine article. Does this mean I'm a troll?
0: Oh, no. I just, <laughs> I couldn't think of the correct word in the moment when I was saying it. I just meant that people were pushing back on it. It's not a troll because you're not out there like writing negative, horrible, horrible, things. Like a troll well, is someone who I was I am- worried we have one on orange juice optional who just writes like something negative in the comments or hateful. Right.
1: Well, but we are doing a podcast on it and I'm publicly bashing it because technically since we're on a podcast, this is public, a public setting. I'm a troll.
0: No, you're not a troll. I should look up the definition of it because I don't want anyone to think I was calling them a troll for having their own opinion. I just couldn't think of the right word. And I was listening to a podcast earlier today and they were talking about a troll. So that was the first word that <laughs> popped into my mind. So probably the wrong word, but you know, people are entitled to their own opinions as to what's going on. And if they don't agree with it, if they think it was an overreaction, an exaggeration, a publicity stunt... It certainly appears that way, and you're not alone in that.
1: The art trolling, the art of deliberately, cleverly, and secretly pissing people off.
0: Yeah, and you're not doing it secretly. You're just doing it as (laughs) Suzanne Heuners on a podcast.
1: Exactly. What else does it say?
0: Making random,
1: unsolicited, and or controversial comments on various internet forums with the intent to provoke... An emotional knee-jerk reaction from an unsuspecting reader or listener.
0: Yeah, you're not doing that. You're just. I your am well, a, a little bit. Well, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, but I'll let you know if we get any trolls after this, any emails or
1: yeah remarks like on our you, social yeah. media. Like yeah, probably not going to worry too much about that. But okay, no. I think we should move on to our other topic,
0: which is something that should be completely celebrated, I think. And the pictures were gorgeous. Can we just take a moment to talk about Martha Stewart at 81 years old, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine, the swimsuit Uh, edition?
1: Yeah, it's like, incredible. And do you know how that transpired? Have you heard? I don't. But have you heard any news about how the whole event transpired? Did she did Sports Illustrated approach her or did she approach Sports Illustrated?
0: I'm not sure, but man, they made a really good decision there because wow. So the only thing I can say that I heard about it is I read a little blurb from Martha Stewart about how I think she did yoga and then cut out a couple foods to look like that. Right. But Right. Yeah. But what a transition, what an image change, because I was even talking to Rob before he saw the pictures, and he's like, seriously, Martha Stewart, she's all buttoned up, you know, the sweaters, like the more matronly look, like attractive, but you would never picture her like that on the cover of a magazine. And then when he saw the pictures, when I saw the pictures, I was absolutely blown away. She looked gorgeous.
1: I agree. I mean... It's so impressive. And (laughs) and at eighty-one to do that at the age of eighty-one. I mean To find
0: the confidence, to find the inner fortitude, just say I'm gonna put myself out there like I've never been seen before. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. And she did it so classy. She didn't have to wear like a bikini or anything. She just looked beautiful and Right. Her
1: comment about it, um, let's see, I am reading this from the British Broadcasting um, Network. She told the magazine she wanted to inspire other women and she was thrilled to appear on the cover. And this was her next quote. I don't think about age very much, but I thought that this might be kind of historic and I better look really good.
0: (laughs) And she nailed it. She did. I'm going to add on to this, and I'm going to out myself a little bit, but I'm sure everybody already knows, Eva has had me put some things out on social media where she wants us more involved, like she wants our faces more involved so people can get to Mm -hmm. know us. And so I did that, but I found that I looked a little bit better using a Snapchat filter. So. Interesting. While it's still my bone structure and it's still my facial expressions, my skin looks a little bit younger, a little bit more glowy than it does in real life. And yeah, I started to think, I wonder what type of filter they put on that Sports Illustrated edition, like to smooth Um, out any lines. But she looks good all the time, but I'm just saying. Right. So you're happy
1: with the Snapchat filter that you used?
0: Well, I'm happy with it, except for the part, and I cannot believe I'm again saying this, except for the part because you set it up and you go to record, and for that instant, it shows your regular face and then like mm-hmm. the enhanced face, and I look like an old hag in I bet my you mind. Don't yeah, no, in I your mind too. It's so bad. Like I was crying yesterday. I was absolutely crying. I just turned 52 and Mm -hmm. it's like seeing my face as this old woman for the first time in comparison.
1: Mm, Interesting.
0: Yeah. And should I feel bad or ashamed that I used a Snapchat filter? I don't think so because I think a lot of people use it just to give the highlights and the glow and the perfect makeup. It's kind of like having your own glam squad without the glam squad. And it's kind of like getting a... Facelift without really getting a facelift. But then I have to think mm-hmm. when people see like my real face, which again, same bone structure, mm-hmm. same everything, are they just going to think I'm an old hag? So,
1: Well, okay, you're being pretty hard on yourself by describing yourself as an old hag. You are not an old hag. You're 52 <laughs> years old.
0: It's I like, saw the difference. I saw yeah. what I look like in the video without, and I'm like, ah.
1: Uh, yeah. I don't know. I struggle with that whole that whole concept. I actually have a couple different friends who touch up their photos before they'll post anything on Instagram or on Facebook. And it frankly <laughs> has never occurred to me to do that. My attitude is, you know, I am who I am and why go to the effort to make myself look like something i'm not but then when i hear you talk about it i mean there's some there's logic behind it it makes sense to put your best face forward you know i just have never considered that and a friend of mine just recently did this in some photos before she put them on facebook she showed me actually how she can edit Certain lines on her face, or edit how her the color of her hair just real subtly, like you almost couldn't tell the difference. But it does actually really make a big difference when you actually see the finished product when it gets onto Instagram or Facebook.
0: Right. And I haven't ever touched up photos, this is strictly video. And the color you're seeing in my hair, that is my actual hair which was looking good and that's why i decided mm-hmm. to shoot the video yesterday when i did however mm-hmm. i had just gotten done working out i didn't have mm-hmm. any makeup on and so that could have played into, into how
1: you felt, felt you
0: after when i looked at my real self because right. truly again it just mm-hmm. highlights everything and probably takes a little bit of time or a little yeah years wrinkles and kind of washes right. them away but I don't know if I can keep doing it that way just because it makes me feel bad about being older now.
1: Right. Well, and I found another quote by Martha Stewart about her posing. And I'm sure that there was a lot of touch up done. And I wish I could find something that, that asks an article that asks her that specific question, you know, how much touch-up was done in these photos. But she says, I hope this cover inspires you to challenge yourself to try new things, no matter what stage of life you are in. Changing, evolving, and being fearless. Those are all very good things indeed.
0: Man, is that our sip of the day already in the middle of the episode? Because that's beautiful. Well, it is. And- Yeah. And
1: now, I mean, and now you've brought attention to, you know, when I look at those pictures, I think like I think, and it's like, well, that's just how she looks. And it never occurred to me until you brought it up that there was probably a lot of enhancing done in these photos.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying a lot of enhancing. I was just more worried, but more talking about the face because it looked pretty flawless or the angle of the camera made it look like age wasn't even a factor. She did not look 81. She, well, no. Like,
1: like for example, in this bathing suit on the cover, I'm look, which I'm looking at right now, there had to have been touch-ups because her decolage is so smooth and young. And at 81, there's no way it could look like that without some help.
0: Right. And I just want to say that everyone is beautiful. And as we age, instead of fighting the wrinkles, which society make you know you feel like society is frowning right. on them. i And mean, your own you're your own worst critic but every wrinkle that we have we earned with a smile we learn earned with an experience we earned mm-hmm. and it's something really to be celebrated but right it's hard So why are it's you so yeah hard. but so yeah so why is it
1: because our culture our society shames us for aging Why is there the need to cover up those wrinkles or, or camouflage those wrinkles? Because what you're saying makes so much sense. It's like, yeah, we've earned the, the aging we have. So
0: why camouflage it? Exactly. And I was even talking to my son, Cameron, and, you know, I I turned 52. And so there's a little bit of Looking at yourself in a different way as you age every year. And I said to Cameron, men, you know, when they get older, they look so dignified, but women, there's almost this you feel like they don't, or society has said they don't, but actually, age Mm -hmm. is beautiful. And Cameron's like, I completely disagree with you about, you know, men just being dignified. I think he sees beauty in it all. And so, Mm -hmm. as an aging woman, why can't I just embrace where I'm at and see the beauty in all? of myself rather than the flaws. Like I earned, again, everything. Right.
1: Well, and on that note, which I absolutely believe uh, we have an entire podcast on this topic.
0: Yeah. Um, We probably need to move on to the book so we get that in today's episode because I'm sure everybody is super excited to hear what we thought of Homecoming. Are you mm-hmm. okay with that, Suzanne? And then we'll like shelf yeah. this conversation and we will save it for a later ah, date. Yeah,
1: future podcasts. Yeah, yes, let's
0: in that. the very near future podcast, because right now this topic is very current. We're feeling we're experiencing life as we do. And I think maybe next week. Yep, yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, well, let's move on to Homecoming by Kate Morton. Okay, so we're back and the book of the month again. I've said it like five times. Everyone's probably getting sick of hearing it, but Homecoming by Kate Morton. It was a (laughs) 547-page novel. And I am going to throw myself under the bus here because I started reading it. I got about 130 pages in and had traveling coming up. So I got the audio version of it and I listened to it while I was on these long drives, on Mm -hmm. airplane flights, while I was out walking, exercising, and just doing tasks around the house. And I'll tell you, I felt a little bit like I was cheating, doing it Mm -hmm. that way, because I was also multitasking. Mm -hmm. But I loved doing it that way. It really worked for my lifestyle, especially with this book. And I'll tell you why in a minute, after I give you a second to say something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tried the Audible because I was doing so much traveling and the multitasking thing. We talked about this with one of our previous books that I discovered this Audible listening to it while I'm driving because, you know, the commutes in Arizona are all so long anyway. But here's what happened to me, is I decided the Audible isn't as efficient for me or as good for me as reading. And there are a couple things, and we maybe touched on these things before. First of all, my mind wanders when I'm listening. I am not a listener when it comes to, you know, I do much better visually reading the book than I do listening. Because if I get bored with what's being read to me, I'm off on another subject. And then I come back into the book, and I'm completely confused like, dang it, then I have to go back and listen to it again. And so it's not very efficient for me. I'm just not a good listener, apparently.
0: Were you you like that growing up to learning? Did you learn better reading rather than listening or hearing? Yes, I'm
1: a much, I'm definitely a visual learner. And I've known that about myself for a long time. I just didn't realize it would translate into listening to a story being read as well. Right. Because and I've- I do. I drift away. My mind goes to 10 other things. And then it's like, well, I've just wasted 25 minutes.
0: And I understand that. I did feel like I was cheating on the book or like cheating mm-hmm. on a test or doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing because it was so efficient. But for mm-hmm. me, especially this book, Again, I read the Mm -hmm. first 130 pages. The author Mm -hmm. sets such scene of where the characters are at that I found myself just jumping past it like, okay, 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 okay. And like skimming through right. it. And my mind would start to wander as I read those descriptions, like this book right. could be 300 pages if we didn't have all these descriptive <laughs> it's words. so
1: funny that you say that because I was thinking the exact same thing, both when I was listening and when I was reading. It's like, oh, for the love of God, we got it. You know, we have our visual. And Kate Morton, she has some books that, and it's because she said this one, is the first one she's published in over five years. And I don't think I read her most recent book before this one, but when I first discovered her, I loved her as an author. And I think it is because she does create such a visual scene in my mind that I almost feel like I'm transported into that place and time. Um, but this book, either my opinion has changed, or this one was just over the top descriptive,
0: right? And that's so true. I've I found that, and I found it in her descriptions of each location. So it wasn't just the mm-hmm. opening scene that was so well. It was everywhere the characters mm-hmm. went, and so that was very different. And I know we were going to compare and contrast a little bit to the the book we we read last last month, uh-huh. and that was a huge difference, like just the the descriptive elements in it. I found another huge difference, how she brought everything into play. I thought that was very clever, because there was like a book with, in a book, and uh-huh. it went like the book last month, it went, from one time period 1959 or 1958 to 2018. Mm-hmm. So, I had a little trouble with the jumping and juggling of that at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the book. Like, where was this character? What time frame? So, I did struggle, mm-hmm. but that was a similarity it had to the other book. It also mm-hmm. had the a contrast of that would be the storyline altogether where the book we read mm-hmm. last month, the girl, the main character, she grew up knowing of this mystery uh, mm-hmm. you know in her her community whereas in this book she came home to help a sick dying grandma and right. she stumbled across it she had no idea that this was a part of her family history and i found that really intriguing as to how all that information mm-hmm. was going to come right. to be
1: and kate morton definitely in my opinion has a similar formula that she uses in all of her books. She has the back and forth time periods that she jumps back and forth. And I think I said that when we were talking about the previous book we discussed. I don't like that because I will get attached to the characters in one chapter or one section. And then it jumps ahead and I lose interest. It's like, well, I don't care about this. And, but in this book, I did find myself flip-flopping. I really got attached to the story set in 1959. And so I'd get a little annoyed when the book jumped to 2018 and I'd wanna kind of rush through that so I could get back to the
0: story at hand in 1959. It was a beautifully layered book, I thought. So we have the whole interweaving of all of these stories And I'm a person who I've told you in the past, I've looked at the end of the book, but I did not look at the end of this book. I did not want to know what was going to happen, but I'm one that feels like I can figure it out before Mm -hmm. the end of the story. Now I figured out one of the main elements in about chapter, well, they're like parts. So very early on in the book, like I knew that the baby... Thea right. was actually Polly. But right. I didn't predict a lot of what was going to happen. Like in the last couple chapters, how it all came together and the discoveries they found, I didn't mm-hmm. predict all of those. I think she, Kate Morton, did a very good job hiding Easter eggs in there for us, little pieces of information mm-hmm. that when you heard it, you knew it was going to be relevant, like the puffer fish. Like as soon right. as she said that, I'm like, okay, that's what caused the issue. That's what caused the devastation back in 1959. But how? And I didn't see that part coming at all. Right. (laughs) Blinders on. I didn't see it. Right. Well, and I do remember that about her
1: as an author for my other books, that there are all of these interwoven stories. And she, she brings... It all makes sense in the end. It's like, that's why we have so many different stories going on because it comes together so succinctly in the end, like, of course, now it makes sense. I didn't do myself any favors by listening to part of it because then as I was approaching the end and I kind of gave up on the listening, there were a couple parts where I was like, I'm so confused.
0: Exactly. But it was kind of cool and this is just a side note for anyone who wants to listen to the audio version of mm-hmm. it. Claire Foy, who played the queen, Queen Elizabeth II mm-hmm. in the television show The Crown, was the mm-hmm. one who voiced the novel. She did a right. fantastic job. But I did She did. I did have to like laugh The first time she was doing a male American accent, it was just a little bit different. And so I'm like, oh, you know, she's doing really well, but like you can tell there's something a little different.
1: Well, and I I was going to go so far as to say, that's the other problem I have with listening to the audio version. Because when it's a male voice, I want to hear a male voice. When I'm reading the book, in my mind, I'm hearing a male voice. So it's like when I'm listening to someone read me the book, when it's a male narrative, I want to hear a male voice. I don't want to hear. And I love Claire Foy, and she did do an amazing job. But I think that's my other problem with the audio version.
0: And it was over 17 hours long. <laughs> and <laughs> how long do you think that took to record? Oh, I know. Months, I mean, probably. It, yeah, A little months. bit at a time. yeah. Anyway, so for those who haven't read this book, you should probably shut the podcast off now because we're gonna give a brief synopsis and then maybe go into a couple of the characters and Mm -hmm. how they behaved and if you agreed with them, if you liked them. So if you haven't read it and you're planning on it, shut Mm -hmm. this off now. So do you wanna give a brief synopsis of the story or do you want me to do it? You go right ahead. Okay. So as we previously mentioned, this is a story that took place on two timelines, a shared timeline, but at two different points in time. The first one took place in 1959 in Australia, in a a small town in Australia. And there was a family, there was a mom, a dad, and the dad was away on business, and she had four kids, the, the youngest being a baby and it starts out on christmas eve and on that day a tragedy occurs the the bodies of the whole family minus the dad and minus the baby were found deceased Mm -hmm. down by a river then the second timeline starts in london the granddaughter of Well, I guess we didn't even get into who Nora was, but we'll do that in a minute. The granddaughter of somebody related to that family finds out her grandma is sick, and so she goes back to Australia in Sydney, I believe, to Mm -hmm. be there for her grandma, thinking her grandma was going to recover, thinking her grandma was going to get better, but the grandma ends up passing away. But while she's at the house and she has time on her hands, and like the book we read last month, this... Lady is also a writer. She stumbles upon a mystery. She learns that her family has this connection to the family that died back in 1959. And then it's kind of bringing in all the different character perspectives through again a novel within a novel, old audio clips, mm-hmm. old memories, flashbacks, points of view, diaries. to Unravel this whole mystery. Right. Did I leave anything out? I mean, I haven't mentioned any of the characters' names yet, but that's basically... No,
1: yeah, that's basically the story and how it goes.
0: Okay. Well, the reporter, or the granddaughter, her name is Jess. She goes home to assist her grandmother, whose name is Nora. Now, Nora's connection to the deaths back in 1959 is it was her brother's family. Right. Nora is a woman who at the time of the tragedy was with the family. She just was pregnant and opted not to go on the picnic. Wasn't feeling well. As we all know, Australia during those months is very hot. It's different than here in the United States or a lot of places in the United States. It's summer there. So she decided to stay back. And Mm -hmm. it just set off this whole chain of events that... Right, right. They all come together, but wow, what a ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of this story, too, it had to do with the interactions between Nora, the grandma, her daughter, Polly, who turns Mm -hmm. out to be the little missing baby from... Mm -hmm. So it would have been her niece, but... Polly never knew that. She was raised as a daughter, and then Polly had a daughter who was Jess. And because of all of Nora's secrets, because of the way Nora was so protective of Polly and wanting mm-hmm. to keep her own secret, she really fractured that relationship, I felt, between Polly and Jess. Correct. I think you, you've you summed that up very well. Okay. Well, I don't want anyone to be confused. And again, if you haven't read the book, you're going to be confused. But yeah. It was pretty remarkable how it all played Mm -hmm. out. What did you think of Nora? Did you like her?
1: Well, in the beginning, I liked her because we were looking at Nora from Jess's viewpoint. Exactly. Um, But when Jess was starting to unravel some of the mysteries behind the murder or the death in 1959 more and more came out about Nora that it was like, oh, she's not exactly the person Tess thought she was. So, yeah, I think my opinion of her shifted during the book.
0: I guess what I liked about Kate's writing was she always brings an element of fate into the story because the way everything played out in 1959, the way the the timeline then connected, there was a whole Mm -hmm. element of fate in there because Nora had had trouble getting pregnant. She was pregnant, but this tragedy brought on early labor and the baby Mm -hmm. was lost, but she didn't tell anybody that. She didn't accept it right away, and it just so happens that her niece, because of circumstances that you'll have to read about (laughs) too much to go Mm -hmm. into, ends up. In her garden and she finds her there but never tells anybody that that's who the baby is right she has a lot of motivation to keep her secret and so i kind of felt like she made a deal with the devil or the killer because they all blamed the mom so they all blamed Nora's sister-in-law isabel right right yeah she she made a, a deal that Sonora then made a deal with the killer, who was also involved with the baby's disappearance at first. And they had to keep right. each other secret, which I didn't see that part coming at all. I didn't see the person who ended up being the killer being the killer. That blew my mind.
1: Right. I agree with you. And yeah. Although, again, I go back to when all of this was being revealed in the book you know, probably the last hundred pages of the book would be my guess when it's all starting to surface. I'm thinking I should have just started reading the book here (laughs) and forgotten everything else that I read or listened to, because there was a point where I was like, okay, wait a minute, I have to go back and try to remember how this fit with this situation. And really in the last hundred pages of the book, that's when everything culminated, anyway. You know what I'm saying?
0: I do did you because feel that way at all. I did. There were, as I said, a lot of, I call them Easter eggs hidden in there, little facts that were going to come out. But they told those stories, like the, from back in 1959 through interviews, where people are mm-hmm. still holding back information. So you're not getting right. the full story there, although this is the information that the uh-huh. author of the book. Inside the book Mm -hmm. revealed. And so, yeah, really, if you just read the first couple of pages, got an idea of who the the characters were, and then the end, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of extra information in there. It did tell a beautiful story. I mean, again, very interwoven, very creative the way Mm -hmm. it all came out, but Mm -hmm. long.
1: Right. Okay. So, towards the end of the book, there were two situations that just just had to make a choice was she gonna follow the wishes of her grandmother or was she not do you know which two situations I'm referring to
0: I know of the first one uh, about opening up the box and or not opening right. it up and burning it I, I know about that situation is there another one too that not I'm just- the
1: burning one the one where she, her may um, Jess has mail and one of the envelopes contains the cassette, but it says if
0: um, Polly is
1: still alive, she needs to open this. And Jess was up in her bedroom deciding, should I open it or should I go downstairs where Polly was and give it to Polly? And she followed the wishes of the person who sent the cassette and she took it downstairs and then they listened to the cassette together. And then Polly read a letter that she found. But then later on towards the end, and I don't remember how she found out about the suitcase in the secret room off the attic, but Nora's wish was that she go get the suitcase. I remember it as a suitcase. Maybe it was a box.
0: I think it was a Um, trunk.
1: A trunk. Yeah. And she told Nora never to open the trunk. Just take it out of the house and go burn it. And Nora, without hesitating, opened the box. Because she knew the answers were in that box. All of Nora's secrets were in that box. So tell me what you would have done. Okay. Well, Would you have opened the box or would you have burned the box?
0: Okay. Well, here's what I think. Okay. So you have the letter at first that was... Jess received, but had to go to Polly. And I think at that point, her relationship, I mean, even though she was so curious about what it was that the cassette contained, that she had this fragile relationship with her mom. Her mom was still there. Her mom was part of the story. Obviously it affected her and she knew her mom would share it. And so she honored that wish because this person, I feel, never lied to her. Even though she never met the character, she talked to his niece and everything was straightforward and he seemed like a really good guy. So I think she did follow that. And I think by the time that the solicitor came around, so the lawyer came and made this request on behalf Mm -hmm. of Nora. Nora had asked for this to be done and she wanted Jess to burn the trunk and Jess made the decision not to. I think at that point, her confidence in Nora had been broken a little bit, like all of her promises mm-hmm. to do this and this and this. and Right. At that point, it's like, no, now you just need to tell the truth. Now we just need to know what happened. What is the mm-hmm. secret that you're hiding?
1: Okay. But my question is to you, regardless of how you felt about Nora, reg- I mean, if this, if Nora were your grandmother and- you, and nothing had changed in your feelings about Nora, but she had left you instructions to burn the trunk without opening it. Would you have burned the trunk without opening it? It's a hard one. I would have opened it. Yeah. And hands down, 100%, I would have opened it too. I
0: because mean, I,
1: I don't even think of it. I maybe would have felt a little bad about opening it, like, or guilty, because I knew she didn't want me to open it. But you don't put a full trunk of something in front of someone and say, burn this without finding out what the contents are. I mean, you just don't do that. It was unfair of Nora to put her in that situation. I absolutely if it were agree. Me, yeah, if it were me, that's how I would approach it. It's like, it's unfair of you to ask me to do this and you're already gone. So I can't go back and convince you that I should open it. And, you know, I can't fight my fight. You know I can't win this argument because you're already gone, so I'm gonna blindly take this the contents of this trunk and burn it without knowing what I'm burning. No way in hell I'd do that,
0: yeah, no, and we talked last week in our episode about you know those secrets of the past dying with our ancestors, and right we have a you know it's our history too, even though not directly, it still affects the lifetime we've had. So yeah, I would mm-hmm. open it too. And I would probably feel a little bit bad and a little bit guilty, uh-huh. but I think i get over it
1: yeah. quickly. Well, especially if you find something that you find valuable, whether it's sentimental value, whether it's historical value, if you find something valuable in that trunk, yeah, I I would never feel guilty about that.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, Daniel Miller, who was the author of the book within the book. So he told the story of the 1959 mystery, a Mysterious right. Death. I really feel like he did such a good job, actually, you know, the, uh, the real author, but describing right. who each of these kids' loss were, that, you know, as she pulled out those objects, like she could say to her mom, like, this was your brother's jacket, this was your sister's, whatever, this was your other sister's, because Like as soon as she pulled them out, it instantly connected her to the history that was shared. Right. Yeah. Right. I thought it was a good book. Although I will say, just like in the book last month, and last month, it left you with a really big, or yeah, that book left you with a really big cliffhanger as to whether the woman survived or not. In this one it's not dramatic but i really would have liked to have seen how things progressed three years in the future so do a time jump Mm -hmm. and let the last chapter be about did the mom and daughter reconnect did they end up back in that home did they refurbish it were they living there were they doing okay once they processed it did, you know, uh, right. Polly reconnect with her brothers that were still alive, her half-brothers that were still alive, and how did it change them? I would have liked that closure or insight, I guess. Right, right. Did you feel that way?
1: I did not feel that way as much as you did. Maybe a little bit, but no, I felt like when the story ended, it ended. I I felt you really liked good it. about it. The book? You know, you liked
0: how it ended.
1: I did. Yeah, I was okay with it. I was, I was satisfied with it.
0: Well, that's a good way to leave a reading experience. And would you recommend this book to others? Yeah, I would. I mean, even though I got bogged down in the details of her descriptions,
1: by the time I got to the end of the book, like I said, and I consider the end of the book probably the last third of the book, the last hundred some pages I felt like it was worth it
0: yeah yeah it was about 45 minutes on the audio version the last 45 minutes like brought it all together in full circle but I would definitely recommend this book also you have anything else you want to share about it before we wrap this episode up no just that Kate Morton
1: is is a great author and her other books are worth reading her earlier books especially are worth reading
0: And if I remember correct, they all have that element of fate in there and that spirituality also, which was laced throughout this story, two little Mm -hmm. words that were chosen. So definitely recommend her. And we'll close this episode up. We'll be right back. Okay, well, Supersized episode, yes, we're already over 52 minutes, which is not typically how long we go since we've reformatted, but here we are. We still have a couple announcements. The first announcement being our 10K giveaway in May gift basket. Again, not $10,000. We have a winner, and Mm -hmm. I would like to, and I know you would too, like to say congratulations to Linda Richards- Thank you to everybody else who entered the contest. We will have contests in the future because, again, this is our way of saying thank you to you for listening. Anything else on that, Suzanne? No. It's a great
1: basket, though.
0: I know. I'm so (laughs) excited you picked it out. I'm going to have to take a look at it. And real quick before we move on, we will be reading a biography. It's by Tessa Dunlop. And it's called Elizabeth and Philip. So it is a true story, obviously, as a biography about their relationship both privately and in the public's eye and their struggles and their successes. And I thought as royal lovers, we would both enjoy it. I'm sure we will. But, Suzanne, if you Mm -hmm. really want to talk about the drama Prince, we could do spare. No. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you could do spare. I'm not reading it. I knew you were going to say that,
0: but... Yeah. I just had to, to throw that in there. Yeah. So with well, all that shared, do you have something to sip on today? Oh, is it my turn? It is. It probably is. Okay. You I just want to reread me- the Martha Stewart quote? That was really good.
1: <laughs> no, I do have a quote, though. I just have to find it really quick. Okay, after much scrolling on my phone, my quote, my sip of the day is not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is
0: faced. And that's by James Baldwin. And I feel like you're speaking to my soul right now. So thank you so much for sharing that. And until next week, everyone, cheers.
1: Cheers. Cheers.